Well, good evening, Lighthouse Community Church. It's such a joy and a blessing to be here, and I want to thank you for uh, your warm welcome in Christ, and it's, uh, it's been great to be back in the South Bay. My wife and I actually um, grew up and went to school in the South Bay, and, uh, and it's just been uh, great to uh, reconnect, and uh, thank you so much for, for having us this weekend. This weekend, we are uh, devoting ourselves to the theme, Counseling Youth, Gospel Hope for Teenage Hearts. And I'm really encouraged you're here. I'm encouraged that uh, your very presence here is really a testimony and expression of uh, your desire to love the teens in your life well. I'm really thankful for that. This is a topic which I trust is immensely practical. There's uh, no real theory, uh, only merely theoretical talk going on tonight or this weekend. This is um, material that I trust will be immediate, immediately practical in each of our lives. And I do trust that you're here because there's a teenager in your life that you are uh, wanting to love and to serve. Um, and the, the word teenager is generally defined as age 13 to 19. There's some uh, variation in how people define that term, but I trust you're here because you have a teenager whom you love and you want to do well. And so I'm really thankful for that. It seems that the world is somewhat at a loss to know what to do with these particular people called teenagers. Uh, one weary observer humorously said, there's nothing wrong with teenagers that careful reasoning will not aggravate. And another parent dryly observed, when your children are teenagers, it's important to have a dog so that someone in the house is happy to see you. <laughs> there's no question that Ministering to teenagers can be, can be a tough job. It could be a tough season. But by the grace of God, it can also be one of the most rewarding experiences in life. And that's what we're here this weekend to discuss. I trust and I pray that as a result of our time together, that you will be encouraged in your relationship with your teenager. And whether you've come this weekend and you're experiencing a lot of joy and fulfillment, in relationship with your teen, or whether you've come this weekend and you're experiencing some measure of heartache and disappointment, my prayer is that this conference will be an encouragement to you, that God would give you encouragement through his word, and that the scripture will equip you to minister effectively to the teenager you love. Mean and I have been married now 27 years. We have uh, four children ages 25, 23, 20, and 18. So we're just about through uh, the teenage years. And the reason why I originally developed this material is that when I was parenting my children through the teenage years, um, I needed to take a class like this, but no one was teaching it. So I decided to teach it myself, and I thought maybe I could listen to the audio of my own class and be encouraged. <laughs> I do want you to know that Everything we're going to talk about this weekend has been tested in the laboratory of everyday life. There's nothing here that's merely intellectual. And I also want you to know that um, technically this is not a parenting conference. I'm really thankful and glad that many parents of teens are here and really thankful for your presence here. And much of this is going to have application to parenting to uh, teenagers. Um, but technically this is a counseling conference. 
We'll have applications to parenting, applications to youth ministers, applications to those who counsel youth and teach youth. Um, ultimately, I pray we'll have an application to everyone in the body of Christ because everyone in the body of Christ should love and want to serve teenagers. But if this was strictly speaking a parenting conferences, uh, we would probably want to talk about a lot of other things like defining responsibilities, setting curfews, setting limits on social media, and so forth and so on. Now, the focus of our time together is going to be a little more narrow. Our focus this weekend is going to be to talk about the practice of conversational ministry and apply that subject specifically to how we have conversations with our teenagers. It will be my thesis this weekend that if you are a Christian, you are a counselor. If you are a Christian, you are engaged in the ministry of having conversations with others as they walk through the issues of everyday life. And if you are a parent, you are definitely a counselor because you are entering into conversations with your child as he or she walks through the issues of everyday life. Your child is dealing with living in a fallen world and you are walking with your child through that and you are giving some kind of conversational response to those issues that your child is dealing with. It seems to me that the older our children become, the more prominent the task of conversational ministry becomes in the relationship. I realized when my children grew up into the teen years and now into adulthood that I could not control their lives anymore. It used to be when they were five years old, I could tell them what to eat, tell them what to wear, tell them who their friends would be, tell them what to watch on TV. I could control all of that. But as they grew into adulthood, I realized that so much of that really became out of my control. I need to learn how to have good, biblical, encouraging conversations with my children as they grew. And I also learned that as I moved from parenting younger children to parenting older children, that this task, this skill of having good, helpful conversations with my children was not a skill that is easily learned. It doesn't come naturally. It was so much easier when they were little and you could just say, go to bed. Or you could just tell them what to eat or tell them what to wear. But to make that transition between parenting younger children to parenting older children required a different skill set. And that's one we wanna devote ourselves to this weekend. So I'm thankful you're here. I trust you'll be encouraged and let's pray briefly that God would bless our time together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come to your throne of grace and receive grace and mercy in our time of need. We thank you that we can come because of Christ's perfect work on the cross to pay for all of our sins. And so we pray for your blessing upon this teaching and upon our time together, that you would take this time and bring much fruit that would be to your glory. So we ask this and pray this in Jesus' name, amen. There are two questions I wanna to address tonight, and these are found on the handouts that are provided. The first question is, what is counseling? I just wanna set a foundation for our time this weekend. And the second question is, who is 
a teenager, so we can understand who we are seeking to minister to. So the first question is, what is counseling? Why do a conference on counseling teenagers? Well, let me define counseling in this way. Counseling is conversational ministry, which takes the word of God and applies it to the issues of life. Counseling is conversational ministry, which takes the word of God, the Bible, and applies it to the issues of life. I like Brad Bigsney's definition of counseling. He says, counseling is helping real people with real problems using the Bible. Applying that to teenagers, this conference is going to be about helping real teenagers, the teenagers in our lives, with real problems because they live in a fallen world, using the Bible, the 66 books of the written scriptures, inspired, inerrant word of God. Counseling is simply conversational ministry. There's a formal aspect to that. If you serve in the formal counseling ministries of the church, God bless you for that. Thankful for your ministry. But there's also an informal aspect to counseling ministry as well. Counseling is what we do when we sit with a friend at a coffee shop or have a conversation over the phone or sit in living rooms and talk about our lives and give input and hear and listen and speak to one another. Counseling is having good, helpful, biblical conversations. If you understand that that's what counseling is, you understand that if you're a Christian, um, you are a counselor. Everyone is a counselor. All of us as Christians are encountering other people who are dealing with issues and problems in their lives, and we are giving some kind of verbal, conversational response to those issues or problems. If you are a parent, you are a counselor. When your teenager comes home and says, I hate school, you are going to give some kind of verbal conversational response to what you're hearing. Your conversational response might go something like this. How dare you hate school? When I was your age, we didn't hate school. When I was your age, we loved school. We were so thankful for the opportunity to better ourselves. We love school. How dare you hate school? Practicing a little bit of selective memory there. But that might be one way that conversation may go. Or your conversation might go something like this. You better wise up, kid. You better change that attitude. Only losers hate school. Winners win, losers lose. Which one are you going to be in life? You better get your act together. Don't you want to be a winner? Change your attitude. Or maybe your conversational response might go something like this. I'm tired. Can you just leave me alone for one day? Mom or dad, we just want to relax tonight. We've had a hard day. Can't you bother me about this tomorrow? 
The point is this, when your teenager says, I hate school, you are gonna give some kind of conversational response to what you're hearing. And your conversational response to your teenager's issues and problems in life are gonna be a reflection of what you believe about God, what you believe about the scriptures, what you believe about Christ, and what you believe about your teenager. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. The truth is that all of us are counselors. What do you say when your teenager says, I hate my brother, or I hate my sister, or I hate this family, or this is so unfair, or you never do anything for me? What comes out of your mouth is a reflection of what is in your heart. What do you say when your teenager says nothing at all? Because he or she has these AirPods in their ears. They're stuck in there so deeply, they're like permanently attached and they don't say anything. You ask them how they're doing and all you get is a grunt or a nod. What comes out of your mouth will be a reflection of what is in your heart, what you believe about Christ and about the gospel and what you believe about your teenager. One of the great temptations in the teenage years is the temptation to disengage. It's the thought in the parent's head which says, these years are really tough. If I just bury my head in the sand for five or six years, it'll all pass and it'll all go away. But I plead with you that this is not a time for parents to disengage. This is a time to be the most involved, to be the most prayerful, to be the most spiritually alert. And it is a time to be the most equipped to minister the word of God to the hearts of the teenagers whom we love. In Romans 15 verse 14, the apostle Paul said, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to, and then he uses the word, nutheteo, you are able to, nutheteo, to instruct one another. Counselors in this room, parents in this room, ministers to youth who are in this room, can I say this according to the word of God? You can do this. You can, by the grace of God and by the power of the Spirit, learn to have good, helpful, biblical conversations with your teenagers. The word the tale simply describes the ministry of speaking or having conversations. This is not preaching, caruso, heralding the word of God. This is this word is translated to admonish in some contexts. This idea of putting truth into someone else's mind. Not all are called to preach or to herald God's word, but all of us are called to speak or to have conversations using the word of God to address the issues of life. 
Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, the great Shema says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Isn't that interesting how the type of speaking in Deuteronomy chapter six is not heralding or preaching God's word. The type of instruction in this text is speaking God's word, having conversations in the house, by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. I have four children living outside the home now. And when they do call home, I'm really happy and encouraged, uh, except for the fact that their preferred time to call home is usually when I'm about to go to sleep. When they do that, I'm reminded of this verse. It's when you lie down and it's when you rise. That is when these conversations take place. If counseling is conversational ministry which addresses the issues of life, then biblical counseling is the type of counseling which is founded upon the convictions that the 66 books of the written scriptures are sufficient for life and godliness. Biblical counseling is founded upon the convictions that the scriptures are all that we need to be conformed into the likeness of Christ. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped, not for some good works, but for every good work. It's a reason why the theme of our conference is counseling youth, gospel hope for teenage hearts. We have hope because we have the scriptures. Romans 15 verse four, for whatever is written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. What a beautiful phrase. The scriptures were given to encourage us and to give us hope. The reason why we're having this conference is that parents of teenagers need hope. We all need hope. And the hope for our teenagers is not that we are smart enough or disciplined enough or wise enough or intelligent enough to figure this out. The hope for our teenagers is that God's word is powerful. Hebrews 4 verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Listen, our hope is that the scriptures have power to change hearts and lives for the glory of God, even when the ministers of the scripture are weak and inadequate. Psalm 19, verse seven, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise a simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous 
altogether. Adolescent Counseling Services, or ACS, is a secular counseling service that focuses on counseling teenagers. And ACS lists the top 10 reasons why teenagers go to therapy. And this is just one counseling service. This is not a definitive list, but I think it's helpful for our thinking to set the context for our study. The top 10 reasons why teenagers go to therapy according to ACS are number one, depression. Number two, anxiety disorders. Number three, behavior problems. Number four, substance abuse issues. Number five is stress. Number six, school and social related issues. Number seven is legal problems. Number eight is low self-esteem. Number nine is trauma. And number 10 is grief. So you have depression, anxiety, behavioral issues, substance abuse, stress, school and social related issues, legal problems, self-esteem, trauma, and grief. Now, brief response, and I'm just broad brushing here. I'm not gonna get into the nuances of each and every issues, but a brief response would be this. There's not a single item on that list which is not in some way addressed by the scriptures. There's not a single item on that list that God is completely silent about in his word. In fact, if I were to take it a step further, I would ask the question, is there a single issue on this top 10 list which is not addressed in some way by the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter five, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Is a teenager depressed? The Spirit gives joy. Is a teenager anxious? The Spirit gives peace. Is a teenager rebellious? The spirit gives the character quality of faithfulness. Does a teenager struggle with substance abuse issues? The spirit gives self-control. Does a teenager struggle with relationships or social related issues, peer pressure? The spirit gives patience, kindness, gentleness, love. Is there a single issue on this list that would not be at the very least helped and possibly even completely transformed if a teenager simply bore the fruit of the spirit. And I realize there is a much larger discussion that needs to be had about these issues. I realize there is complexity that needs to be addressed, but I'm just making this basic and simple point. If these are the top 10 reasons why teenagers go to therapy, then God's word has something to say to our teenagers. So the question is, dear parents in the room, the question is not, are you a counselor? The question is, what kind of counsel are you giving? Is your counsel rooted and grounded in the conviction that the scriptures are sufficient 
to change our teenagers' lives. And can I just speak to parents for a moment, just parent to parent, as one who's going through the road of parenting with you, we cannot impart what we do not possess. If we want God's word to do a powerful work in our teenagers' hearts, God's word needs to be doing a powerful work in our own hearts. The order from the scriptures is first me, then others. First God's work has to do, God's word has to do a work in the heart of a counselor and only then and can God use the counselor to do a work in the heart of the counselee. Ezra 7 verse 10, for Ezra has set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and then and only then to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. And Jesus made this order clear in Matthew 7 verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Can I say it, friends? Many of us are trying to deal with the sins in our teenagers' lives before dealing with the sins in our own lives. And the scriptures would bring us to reverse that order. My teenager has an anger problem, said the father in an angry voice. My teenager has an anxiety disorder, said the mother with fear and anxiety in her heart. My teenager has such a hopeless attitude toward life, said the parent who then added, my teen will never change. I wonder if the hopeless attitude of the parent is helping the teenager with his or her own hopeless attitude in life. You get the point. You and I are only useful to help others change if we are experiencing that type of biblical change ourselves. And the truth is that before God uses us to change our teenagers' lives, God is going to use our teenagers to change our lives. Parents, God is going to use the challenges you have in raising your teenager. God is gonna use your teenager's rebellion your teenager's angry words, your teenager's struggles with anxiety or anger or depression. God is gonna use all of that to draw you closer in relationship to the Savior, Jesus Christ, so that you walk with a good shepherd who has promised never to leave you or to forsake you. And God is gonna use these parenting years, these teenage years, to make you more like Jesus Christ. The teenage years are not only the age of opportunity because it's the opportunity to invest in our teenagers' lives, but it's the age of opportunity because it's an opportunity for us to grow and for us to experience a powerful work of sanctification. And God is gonna teach us much about himself and his word and about our own hearts as we walk with him through these teenage years. So the first question is, what is counseling? Let me move to the second question, which is who is a teenager? Who is a teenager on page two 
of your handouts. David Powelson wrote an excellent article in the Journal of Biblical Counseling. The article is called Only a Teenager. In that article, Powelson writes this. Jimmy was 16. He sat in the chair next to me quite composed, in fact, bored. His parents thought he ought to talk to someone, but he wasn't much interested in talking to me. Eventually, we got past the monosyllable awkward silence phase. As Jimmy opened up, he told story after story about how he'd been mistreated by his family, mistreated by his classmates, mistreated by teachers, mistreated by God, mistreated by the whole universe. He gave a detailed recitation of all the injustice, unfairness, betrayal, disappointment, offense, and plain old stupidity committed against him. He had a rap sheet on the whole world. Jimmy played his parts to perfection, crime victim and aggrieved plaintiff, prosecuting attorney and hanging judge, unanimous jury, outraged public, and ever so willing executioner. Most of his stories seem plausible, in fact, but none of the offenses sound particularly outrageous. They were things that could happen to everyone. A few stories sounded a bit exaggerated or even made up, but most of it sounded pretty factual. Two things struck me about Jimmy. First, Jimmy spoke in an unvarying monotone. His apparent emotions were flatlined. He sounded like he was reading from a telemarketing script or reciting the directions on how to assemble a piece of Ikea furniture. His dull litany of grievances was scarier than outright anger. At, asked, at one point I asked him, are you angry? Jimmy seemed taken back for a moment. Then he recovered his cool and said matter-of-factly, no, nah, I don't get angry, I get even. This anger was chilly. It was more premeditated, cold-blooded murder than crime of passion. He was not gonna waste emotions on the vermin and trash they had to deal with in life. And then Powelson writes this. As a Christian, can I truly understand Jimmy? Am I able to understand him in a truly Christian way? Is it then possible for me to wisely counsel Jimmy in the context of my pastoral care, could Jimmy actually blossom? Could Jimmy begin to live a life worth living? Could he become a friend worth having, a student worth teaching, a worker worth hiring? Could he someday develop into a man worth marrying and a father worth honoring? Do I, a Christian worker, even have the right to counsel Jimmy? end quote there. I think David Powelson asked some very good questions. And I want to ask you some questions tonight. Do you think that there's hope for a teenager like Jimmy? Do you think that we as a church have anything to offer Jimmy? Do you think that you would be able to counsel Jimmy? Do you have a teenager like Jimmy in your home? If Jimmy were to be sent to a secular therapist, he would most likely be diagnosed with a behavioral disorder. 
The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, or the DSM, is the standard diagnostic tool used by secular psychologists. And the DSM has a label for Jimmy. Jimmy, according to the DSM, has oppositional defiant disorder, or ODD. A pattern of angry or irritable mood, argumentative defiant behavior, or vindictiveness lasting at least six months as evidenced by at least four symptoms from any of the following categories and exhibited during interaction with at least one individual who is not a sibling. Often loses temper, is often touchy or easily annoyed, is often angry and resentful, often argues with authority figures or for children and adolescents with adults, often actively defies or refuses to comply with requests from authority figures or with rules, often deliberately annoys others, often blames others for his or her mistakes or misbehavior, and has been spiteful or vindictive at least twice within the past six months. So that's the diagnosis for a person like Jimmy. What is the treatment for a teenager like Jimmy? This isn't on your handout, but according to the Cleveland Clinic, treatment for ODD or oppositional defiant disorder is determined based on many factors. Treatment usually consists of a combination of the following. Psychotherapy is aimed at helping the child develop more effective ways to express and control anger. A type of therapy called cognitive behavioral therapy aims to shape the child's thinking to improve behavior. Family therapy might be used to help improve family interactions and communication among family members. Especially specialized therapy technique called parent management training or PMT teaches parents ways to positively alter the child's behavior in the home. As far as medication goes, although there is no medication formally approved to treat ODD, various medications might be used to treat some of its distressing symptoms, as well as any other mental disorders that might be present, such as ADHD or depression. Now, I'm not here tonight mainly to say negative things about secular psychology. I'm here mainly to say positive things about Christ and the gospel and the sufficiency of God's word. But I would point out that the secular approach to counseling a teenager like Jimmy neglects to consider a simple truth, and that is this. Jimmy is made to live in relationship with God. Jimmy has been created by God and for his glory. Jimmy has a soul that will live forever. And the secular approach to counseling Jimmy neglects to understand the truth that it is the disorder in Jimmy's relationship with God which is the source of Jimmy's disordered behavior. Do we as Christians have the right to counsel Jimmy? Well, I think it goes back to the question, who is Jimmy? What is, or who is a teenager? And so on page three of your handout, we ask the question, who is a teenager? 
Is a teenager merely the accumulation of social behaviors? Is a teenager merely the product of certain hormones and certain chemicals in the body and the brain? Here's what God's word has to say in answer to the question, who is a teenager? A teenager is a person who is made in the image and likeness of God. A teenager is a person who is made in the image and likeness of God. Genesis chapter one, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis five, verse one. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. Genesis 9, verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. And moving to the, Old Test- to the New Testament, James 3, verse 8 says, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Four times the scripture teaches and repeats the truth that man is made in the image and the likeness of God. And three of these passages are recorded after the fall of man into sin in Genesis chapter three. The word image comes from the Hebrew root word, meaning to carve. The word could be used to describe a carved likeness of a person. And the word likeness has the idea of similarity. The word could be translated to resemble. These are lofty words used to describe your teenager and mine. These are words which are not used to describe any other part of God's creation. Mark 12, verse 15, Jesus said this, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Just as the likeness of Caesar was stamped upon that coin, the likeness of God is stamped upon the souls of our teenagers. And as we noted, even after the fall of man into sin in Genesis chapter three, the Bible says that the image of God remains in man. Has the image of God been distorted because of sin? The answer is yes. According to John Calvin, the image of God has been deformed, vitiated, mutilated, maimed, disease-ridden, disfigured, and yet not destroyed. Wayne Grudem writes that the fact that man is in the image of God means that man is like God and represents God. 
According to the epistle of James, even if a person is an unbeliever, the image of God remains in him. If we are wrong at this point, we will be wrong at every other point. If we are wrong on the question of identity, we will be wrong about the question of interventions. According to the word of God, your teenager is not a collection of raging hormones. Your teenager is not a cluster of problems on two legs. Your teenager is not an instinctual animal merely responding to external stimuli in the environment. According to the word of God, your teenager is a person made in the image and the likeness of God, created to reflect God's glory and his purposes and made to live in relationship with God. And James's application of this basic truth that man is made in the image and the likeness of God, that there must be an attitude of basic respect toward anyone who is created in God's image. We must not bless God our Father and curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Is your approach to your conversations with your teen focused on solving the problem or ministering to the person? When I first got married to my patient wife 27 years ago, um, I thought that every conversation had to end with a solution. I was the problem solver in our marriage, or so I thought. Uh, the fix-it man, she was the one who would bring me problems, things that she's struggling with. I would say to her, here's a solution. And somehow, I don't know why, these conversations often ended in a conflict. I don't understand why, because I was solving her problems. Until I read 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, which does not say husbands live with your wives in a problem-solving way. but says husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. That I realized that God was not calling me to minister to my wife fixing problems, but that I need to learn to minister to her as a person. And in a similar way, our goal with our teenagers is to minister to the person, not to solve the problems. Our teenagers are not problems walking on two legs. They're persons made in the image of God. There's an attitude of basic respect, which says, I respect you because you are a person made in God's image. Because of that, I will value you and I will appreciate you. And in counseling ministry, we, we don't know sometimes if a person is an unbeliever or believer, if they're weak or if they're strong, if they're immature or if they're mature. We do know that they're made in the image and likeness of God, and on that basis alone, we can respect them. A parent might say, well, my teenager doesn't respect me. Why should I respect him? Or a parent might say, look at all that I've done for my teenager, and this is what they repay me with. Whether your teenager loves God or hates God, whether your teenager loves you or hates you, that teenager has the image of God stamped on his or her soul. And on that theological basis, we can engage with respect. Morally, intellectually, relationally, emotionally, a teenager reflects God's likeness. And we could do work walking through each of those categories. A teenager knows right from wrong. Even when a teenager says, this is so unfair, there is some element of conscious that there is the categories of right and wrong, fair and unfair that they are expressing. 
a teenager thinks and thinks about life and thinks about his or her own life and thinks about people and thinks about God. There's an intellectual aspect of being made in God's image. There's a relational image. A teenager is meant to live in relationship with others, even if that relationship is through social media or through um, peer pressure, whatever, uh, whatever those relationships are, a teenager reflects the relational likeness of God. And a teenager has emotions of joy and sorrow. David Paulson has written that a troubled person is a person to love, not a problem to fix. And people often change slowly and struggle deeply. And Robert Jones has well said, I don't counsel sins, I counsel people. Friend, how would you like to be counseled by someone who treated you as a problem to be fixed rather than a person to be loved. Some parents asked, what do I do if my teenager doesn't wanna to talk to me? And yes, it might be the teenager's rebellion and sin issue, but before we go there, let's ask the more difficult question. Am I the type of parent or the type of counselor whom someone else would want to talk to? Do I give my teenager undistracted attention do I respond with compassion, empathy, and mercy? Am I ready to listen when my teenager is ready to talk? On our handout, I've listed some ineffective strategies to ministering to the heart, ways that cause our teenagers to put up their own heart barriers, give quick and easy answers, have a self-righteous attitude, when I was your age, we didn't have iPhones. When I was your age, we didn't have Spotify, Netflix, Uber, DoorDash, fill in the blank. Beware of the attitude of generational self-righteousness. The attitude that sinfully judges another generation based upon the supposed righteousness of our generation. The attitude that says you shouldn't struggle with these things because my generation, we didn't struggle with these things. Demonstrate detachment. It's not a big deal. Well, to the teenager, I guarantee you it is a big deal. Be cynical. Use intimidation and threats. You're grounded for the next year. You're going to hear about it. Hurl accusations. You don't respect me. You never respected me. Um, what have you just done when, you've done when you say things like that? You've made yourself the issue rather than the teenager's relationship with God. You've thrust yourself into the center of the story when the real issue is your teenager is relating to God either rightly or wrongly and you are a servant to help your teenager know the truth of who God is so that the teenager will worship God. Be manipulative. If you don't do this, I won't pay for your phone, your movies, your food. You see, the mouth speaks out of what fills the heart. And if these things are coming out of your mouth in your conversations, it's a reflection of what you are thinking, desiring, and worshiping. These were my heart dynamics one night when I came home from work, hangry, having worked all day, and driving home looking forward to eating my wife's lasagna. And getting home and finding that 
my children had eaten all the lasagna. <laughs> the thoughts in my heart, I shouldn't have to deal with this. I deserve better than this. The desires of my heart, I'm hungry. I just want to have a good meal. The values of my heart, my comfort, my ease, my agenda for myself. God was showing me in that moment where I needed to be sanctified. He was addressing the thoughts and intentions of my own heart, and he was showing me that I valued my own comfort more than I valued the glory of God and the good of my family. A teenager is a person who is made to live for God and for his glory. And we are instruments in the Redeemer's hands to help our teens know and love the true and the living God. Your teenager is a person to be loved, not a problem to be solved. This is the basis for interpersonal, conversational ministry. And because we have the gospel, because we have God's word, through the eyes of faith, we can look at issues such as depression, anxiety, behavioral problems, substance abuse issues, stress, school issues, and the list goes on and on. And with others see an insurmountable problem, we as believers see a great opportunity for the gospel. In this session, we ask the question, who is a teenager? In the next session, we'll ask the question, who is a counselor? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time in your word. Pray that your spirit would do a good work through your word in each of our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.